in a minute, no one's going to care about Superboof, just like they don't care about uh, mac and cheese anymore. And you know what? I don't care. Do I know what strain of wheat is in this Trisket? I have no fucking idea. I don't even know what kind of grapes Great these are. Great example. Man. Right? I don't know. I mean, that olive is green and that one is is brownish. I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I do know. That's a Greek olive. It's actually That's super good. Gentleman Quinn's Blunt Company is a true Colorado story. Their CEO, Drell Wall, came to the state with a desire to be in the thick of the nation's first legalized cannabis market. In short order, an idea, in the form of a blunt, was sparked on a mountaintop and the rest is history. Jarrell's passion for his craft, the business, and the state he now calls home is evident. This is his story. So how did I get started in cannabis? Uh, or you mean the industry, more or less? You could, you could go wherever you want with that question. I'm going to leave that's, that open. That's ended. a big question. Uh, but, I, you know, <laughs> but just let, to kind let, of let, simplify let, it, I, I go with, with the industry. Okay. Uh, I moved to Colorado in 2014, 2015. Uh, I used to work in television in Atlanta. Okay. And... They had a bunch of things going on there. So I had the opportunity and some savings uh, available for me to move to Colorado. Mm -hmm. Had a few different options to move to different states, but I, it was around the time recreational was coming online. And I said, if I had the any opportunity to move to Colorado, I'm going to do it. I didn't know anything about Colorado. Right. I visited one time, but, you know, dealing with uh, being a consumer in, in the South compared to coming out here. You visit out here during those times, you know, the early medical days. Because uh, I came out first in 2012. Mm -hmm. uh, and those are the days where there was quasi rules. So yes. you basically had people. We all wore hoodies <laughs> all the time. <laughs> well, you had people growing weed in their apartments and things like yeah. that. And it was just like, it was like, I, I couldn't believe it. You know, from being in Atlanta, where if I buy weed, I got to put it where my spare tire is, you know. Right. Paranoia, all that type of stuff, you know. And, uh, you know, coming out here just seems like it was the bastion of where I wanted to be. So. 2015, I had the opportunity to make a move from Atlanta for my career job and ended up working in television out here. But I knew in the back of my head that I wanted to get into the industry somehow. I didn't necessarily know that I wanted to be an owner of the industry. I just kind of wanted to be a part of what was going on. Right. Uh, but circumstances allowed for me to, you know, build a product with some really great partners. So in 2015, uh, in 2015, I was working, uh, in a television uh, network doing audio engineering. Uh, and my hours for, were from 4 p.m. to 2 a.m. So I had a lot of downtime. Uh, I had a buddy who I actually visited in 2012. He was a grower and he was working at a dispensary as being a master grower. And he basically was like, this dispensary is shut down, but it's opening back up. They need people. Uh, every now and again, he did his own home grow. So I would ask him if he needed me to trim, just kind of, you know, chop shop about the industry, just kind of learn more about it. He was like, well, you don't have to come all the way down to Centennial and chop weed with me. Just come work at this dispensary. So he got me an interview at that dispensary. It was a really small spot, uh, mom and pop type situation and whatnot. And it was really all hands on deck. And they basically were like, you know, you work in television because you do marketing for us. And I was like, oh, why not? Well, I don't know. Sure. I got an idea of what licensing looked like and things like that. Just right. soaking it all up. Right. And then around that time, uh, the general manager of the store, which was a guy that was 25 years old and myself and another bud tender, uh, I would do these things when I came to Colorado. I was like, I'm trying to meet everybody, trying to survivable more or less. 
So I was like, you know, with these guys, I was like, well, let's just like do like a outing with everybody in the dispensary. Let's go to a mountaintop or something like that and just kind of like, you know, meet each other or whatnot. So we went to Boulder. Uh, we were about to pull a blunt, you know, because blunts weren't readily available in Atlanta. You know, obviously the amount of weed to put into a blunt. So, so, so wait a minute. Blunts weren't readily available in Atlanta? Well, I'd say blunt smoking blunts because you're not buying that much weed. You're not putting... 0.5 grams into a blunt. You're putting a couple grams into a blunt and smuggling right, it right. down. I mean, you would get a dime bag and basically dump it into a Philly. But for the most part, I'm just smoking joints or right. smoking bowls or bongs. But whenever I got a blunt, it was more of like an occasion, you know? Right. So for this occasion, we went to the mountain, uh, the butt tender. He wanted to roll us a blunt and we're just, you know, crazy windy night in Boulder and whatnot, dark. We're chatting it up and he passes the general manager what the general manager thought was a twig. He was like, well, he just threw it out. He was like, eh, I'm not falling for that shit because it was so fat. <laughs> and he, you know, but tender picked it up and he was like, no, this is the blunt I just rolled. And I was like, I've never seen anything so big. So, 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 so. That's basically where the story begins. Wow. quits. <laughs> All right. Well, that is a very Colorado story. Going to the top of a mountain, right? <laughs> and smoking the biggest thing you've ever smoked in your life. That's very Colorado. It's basically everyone's experience coming here, right? Absolutely. So, you would hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. You would hope. All right, so... You get this thing going, um, circa 2015 2015, yep. Okay. And how long did it really take for it to start popping off? How long did it take for people to catch on and where it was just not in the dispensary you were at, but you were starting to kind of expand this thing? We basically went that night. I'm thinking these guys are just going to say fuck it, but they, they went back home. They all came up with different ideas for what we could do for it. Uh, Austin, the general manager, who eventually would become our business partner. He came up with the idea to put them in the packaging that we have them in. He came up with the idea to name it the High Class Big Ass Blunt. And then GQ, which was the bud tender, we named the company after him because he was a gentleman for rolling us the blunt that night. So it all kind of came together all in one. And I was just like the very next day we're at the, the shop. I was like, man, this this could potentially be something. So we came to the owners with a whiteboard, uh, a bunch of ideas of how we wanted to do this. I was already doing the marketing for the dispensary, so I knew how we could market this based on my knowledge of what we were already doing. Uh, and they were like, you know, just try it out. Why not? I mean, it's no skin off our back. Right. So from there, you know, we kind of start to understand what the issues were in terms of why dispensaries didn't have blunts. When I moved to Colorado, I was expecting, I say this a lot of times, but it was a lot of propaganda in Georgia about legalized cannabis in Colorado. We thought it was vending machines everywhere. We right. thought it was <laughs> cupcakes right. made with weed. We thought it was restaurants and barbecue sauces, and it was none of that stuff. Right. So it was a little bit surprising to me that there was no blunts in any dispensary. So we understood that it was a tobacco issue, obviously uh, expressly forbidden. So we went to work of trying to find a good substitute in terms of what wraps would work to you know get us to where we wanted to be. Yeah, so man. we did a little bit of R&D in. Uh, we found the packaging solution that we wanted to figure out in terms of uh, mimicking the cigar style in terms of humidor boxes and things like that. Obviously, cannabis and tobacco are a little bit different in terms of mold and humidity. Yeah, but we wanted to keep that same aesthetic. Uh, and we kind of basically wanted to say that we saw that blunts weren't in the industry and it seemed like a bit of an affront to smokers. So we were like, we wanted to have a little bit of respect towards what we knew as the previous culture before legalization came right, in. Right. So that's kind of where the whole aesthetic of being a little bit more of a premium product, uh, being a little bit more of a, you know, not just a, a wink and a nod to cannabis, you know? 
uh, just a, a little bit more, you know, sophistication to it. Yeah. I ended up leaving that dispensary. I, you know, I had a full-time job in television, but, you know, I ended up, you know, wanting to do this full-time and try to figure this out. So I ended up leaving that dispensary because at a certain point they were like, you know, you guys are spending a lot more time on your own thing yeah. than the store itself. So, right. you know, we kind of had to come to that crossroads and, you know, I kind of went to the, had the realization of going to other dispensaries and saying, hey, I got this skill set and doing marketing in, in, in dispensaries. I got a portfolio here. Uh, let me get a job. And right. there was no jobs for me. Yeah. On top of the fact that a lot of dispensaries, now this is 2024 now, so it's a little bit different now. But back then, it wasn't a lot of black blood tenders, you know, things like that. Nope. So it was, it, these things are, you know, obviously Colorado isn't, you know, the most diverse place. I'm not going to say it isn't at all diverse, but it's not the most diverse place. Let's be real. But it wasn't a lot of uh, job opportunities for me in cannabis. Yeah. So at that point, I had to turn back to television. So I was like, you know, I get another job in television. And I was like, you know, as these guys were still at the, at the dispensary, I was like, you know, we're going to make this work. Or we want to at least like put one last ditch effort because we have the opportunity to put a product on the shelf and it actually sell. And we actually got reviews in Culture Magazine and things like that. Great. So I was like, you know, we, we had this early taste of ambition, you know. And I tell, you know, my nephews all the time, like, ambition's a dangerous thing. So, okay, so you get the thing going now. Gentleman Quinn's is making a name for itself. You got an investor. You got a little bit of media buzz. Then what happens, right? you know, I know from the real mountain, <laughs> right? Exactly. I know from personal experience, right? That all sounds awesome. Right. You still got to get those blunts into the stores. How did right. that happen? <laughs> so this is when I go where, when folks always like kind of call me out for saying nice things about Wanda James, but this is when Wanda James came and helped me out. People at her store reached out to us and they basically sampled us out and they were like, you know, we not, we're not too sure, but we're going to try you guys out. You're a black company. Wanda James wants us to at least try you guys out. And if it don't work, you know, we're not going to give you attaboy. We're just going to see if it works or not. So they made a small order. And then a couple of weeks later, they made another order. Great. And they were our first store for about a year and a half. And we were just, you know, paying rent, you know, taking it on the chin because we believed in it. Right. But we are, we had the opportunity to be in the store and it sold. So, and this was back when, you know, we had different iterations of our packaging, but this is when we had bigger boxes. We actually colored the boxes ourselves, painted them, stained them put felt inside of them. We did everything by hand at that point. Wow. And this is not even talking about the blunts, you know, this right. is about the packaging itself. So we had a very impractical product at the time, but it was selling and it was mm -hmm. something new. It was something different on the shelves. Folks weren't doing it. So from there, it, that experience kind of gave us opportunity to understand what price points are in the store. How do you, you know, engage with stores? How do you market effectively and things like that? And then, you know, just over the course of time, we were able to, you know, get more stores uh, you know, I start doing a little bit of the regulatory things, honestly, to meet different business owners because yeah. we were getting so much resistance from store managers. So yeah, go Smart. over the head yeah. and meet different business owners. Right. All right, we'll sample you guys out, try you out. And if it comes from the owner, a lot of the times, you know, they're going to give you a little different light. So exactly. that's basically how we uh, got to where we are now. I'd say if we didn't have that opportunity for Wanda James, I'm not too sure that we would have made a full year <laughs> because we didn't have any stores. and where we wanted to price the product compared to where it ended up being, you know, we were a, 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 a football field away where we needed to be. So we had the opportunity to talk to Brian Nowak, who is a 
you know, the general manager at Simply Pure. And he basically sat us down and gave us a rundown. And he was like, this is where I will put it at. But we could kind of come somewhere in the middle and see where it works. So if I didn't have that opportunity, you know, we'd be just, you know, uh, spinning our wheels a lot. So right. that opportunity was a huge opportunity. Uh, larger <laughs> conversation about being black in Colorado and being black in the industry. Uh, you know, you you very quickly, especially in the licensing process back then, when you have to have everything notarized and all this other type of stuff and the police were the investigators and, you know, I had got bi white business owners, uh, white business partners and whatnot. So when it came down to them doing background checks, uh, I'm the only person that they actually called my references. Of course. <laughs> and I actually had, uh, cause I used to work Ridiculous. for the NBA and stuff like that. So I thought I was going to just have like the best references. So I had, you know, rest in peace to one of my old mentors, Seku Smith, who was a commentator for the NBA. He mm -hmm. actually was one of my references and they actually called him up. And I asked my other business partners, like, did they call you any of your references up there? I was like, no, of course not. <laughs> it's the cops. So, you know, you have that experience of, you know, being a little bit more punitive towards you. And I mean, that's kind of essentially how Amendment 64 was, you know, in terms of folks that potentially may have had records and stuff like that were barred from being in the industry. Right. And we know ex unexplicitly what that was saying. Exactly. You know? But essentially, you know, all these little mini bar barriers, uh, financial barriers, you know, when it came to having those investigations and who's putting what money into the industry, it's into the business. Uh, are you sweat equity? Where's your money coming from? And, you know, everybody else had a little bit of money to kind of put into things. And I basically had a little bit of money for my brother and whatnot. And that's like a really quick introduction into, you know, economics of the cannabis industry and how I know that a lot of folks behind me are probably having a tougher time because I had business partners who could take up for some of the stuff that I like. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it is uh it is a tough thing. And when I see the attempts at um what we now call equity, right? <laughs> oh, so ridiculous. Um in the industry, you know, and I said this before, man, it's it seems to me like it's window dressing. <laughs> Everyone wants to feel good. Right. That they're doing something good, right? Or in some cases, they just want to say, look what we did. And not really put any muscle behind it, right? Right. I can't tell you how many states and municipalities around the country have equity programs, but then there's no funding. So when you're talking about, you know, your situation or many people's situation where you don't have generational wealth to dump into, you don't have a rich uncle or somebody to dump a bunch of money into you, where do you get the money from, right? Or if you might have had a couple of charges here and there, you know what right. I mean? And, you know, potentially that's where you got your money. Well, you can't get in either, right? It's kind of a catch-22. And I always thought it was pretty disingenuous the way that the industry is kind of said, oh yeah, you know, they pay lip service to equity. Right. But where's the real muscle? Because the muscle is the money. It starts where's the and money? ends there. <laughs> it starts and ends there. I mean, honestly, I got a few different thoughts on this. Where I'm at now, because I've been in the rooms of when the social equity program talk started. Obviously, uh, I'm not the only black owner in the cannabis industry in Colorado, but being that I was one of the newer ones at the time where this was starting, uh, a lot of different uh, black business owners kind of have been, since 2009, they've been in the, the grinder wheel of doing things, being a part of work groups and not being really heard. So they basically just say, fuck it. So I, that's what I hear a lot from a lot of different uh black licensees and whatnot who were in the industry or started out in the industry. So at the time I was a little bit newer in the industry. So, Hey, he seems like he wants to participate. Let's bring him in. So 
I was in a little bit of those rooms. I was in the room where the governor introduced uh, the social equity fund. Initially, it was only going to be $100,000 or something around there. This is, see, let, let sorry, me tell you the story. Sorry to interrupt, though. I get so mad because I know what they're doing. It was going it to be $100,000. It looks good for them. My own conspiracy theory of it, and I'm not just going to say it's a conspiracy theory, but I really think it's a litigation issue. You hear a lot of different times of folks in these work groups saying those who are harmed by the war on drugs. You never hear that from legislators. You never hear that from folks that actually work in the government. Because I think as soon as they start to admit those things, then it opens them up for, li for liability. What do you mean the harms that were done to folks at, that were harmed by the war on drugs? What exactly did agents of the government, police, uh, district attorneys, physicians, people mm -hmm. that were getting funded by the government, how did they play a part in, you know, decimating different communities? Right. What are you actually admitting to? So I think what happens is, is we get up to that point where they basically say, uh, something was done, but we can't quite say yeah. what was we done. We don't remember. We don't remember we that. We can't quite say what was done. <laughs> so at that point, that's when you just kind of, you, you start to get the lip service. And I, I understand that sentiment, but I'm also to the point where I'm like, you know, someone has to admit something, you know, at, at a certain point, you know, it's, it's getting kind of ridiculous. So that's just kind of what my head is with it. When right. I hear we get to certain points and nothing ends up happening. I come back to this theme a lot and with reason. I live in Colorado. What is the future of Colorado, the place that birthed the modern marijuana movement? This was the experiment and for all intents and purposes, it worked. But the pace at which the industry has grown has outpaced the regulations that govern it. Rules formulated 10 years ago in a climate of real uncertainty in regards to the industry are now dated. Many of the concerns of the pre-legalization era have not come to pass, and the time has come to reform and move forward. I'm from Indiana, originally. So I have family in Michigan, Illinois, Ohio, mm -hmm. Kentucky, Pennsylvania, all these different places. A lot of good so weed I in Michigan. Have a lot of different opportunities to pick up Gentleman Quinn's and do what Coda did or uh -huh. do what these other companies did and just kind of tuck tail and move. Well, I'm not doing that shit. Me and my business partners aren't looking to do that. Obviously, you may do like an expansion other places and things like that. But, you know, I'm positive that the brain power that's in Colorado, the ingenuity in terms of business owners that I know out here and the will to, you know, make this a, a, a economical thing is here. You know, I, I think would, it's going to happen. I would like to frame what you just said a little differently. Tucktail says that. You know, you're good. Shout you, out to Coda. Get, <laughs> <laughs> shout out to 1906. Tucktail <laughs> and leave, I think, paints it in a negative light. You could be looking at a better opportunity somewhere. And maybe, you know, maybe you're like ma just making a business decision and saying, you know what? I don't know if the numbers are working for me right. in this place anymore. Would you ever consider if Indiana opened up? Michigan, I know right now is tough, but there is some good weed coming out of Michigan. Illinois is a great market. And I mean, the price points in Illinois are fantastic. I mean, you hear the same thing back and forth on both sides. It's a good market. It's a bad market. It's, it's sewn up or there's opportunity. I think what happens at all of these places are, is essentially what happened to Colorado. Money dries up because the opportunity to get licensed aren't as easy anymore. Spaces aren't available anymore. And at the same time, regulations come in with testing. And then folks don't know what they just go fucking crazy. Yeah. So I think what what happened here is going to happen everywhere. You can't figure it out here and make something work without having crazy overhead 
uh, it's going to happen no matter where you go. Yeah. So, I mean, until legalization happens, once you have these borders open, you have interstate commerce, it's a different game. But until that happens, I mean, I'd rather be in the hardest place to make something work. And I say for Gentleman Quinn's, uh, you know, specifically about our product, we did a lot of unique things in terms of our packaging, in terms of our price point, where we are in the pre-roll market, how we haven't changed prices since 2019 through COVID, through the downturn of the market last year, through mm-hmm. fluctuation of flower prices. We haven't done these different things. And we've been, I wouldn't say leaders of testing and whatnot, but we've been instrumental in where testing is and whatnot. So we're not tucking tail and hiding and getting mad at the MED when testing comes in January 1st. Like we're implementing things before they come in. So right. I'm positive that, you know, the hard shit that we have to deal with right now in Colorado is going to pay out for us in the future because we're not going anywhere. So listen to one of your podcasts with the guys that started joints. Shout out to those guys. They yeah, make an incredible product. Love those guys' product. I will only push back on those guys to say that they don't think there are any good pre-roll products on the market. And the best pre-roll product is the product you make yourself. I don't believe in that at all. I think we have a lot of room to make good products in the industry. I think cannabis is so different compared to coffee, compared to tobacco or liquor, because you, you can't make a tobacco lotion you can't make a you know a liquor gummy and whatnot we this is like such a malleable uh, malleable uh, plant that you could do so many different things so i think there's so much opportunity that's going to show itself to be more available as the plant itself becomes more of a commodity the main focus at the moment is just the flower itself now you know you have flour as a product and a commodity like it's kind of a weird kind of space it's kind of tearing itself apart a little bit but once you kind of get cannabis to being a commodity, kind of a little bit what hemp is doing right now, yes, which everybody keeps kind of fighting against and whatnot. Um, but once it kind of gets to that place, that's when you're able to start seeing more innovation in terms of products that can be made and things like that at a cheaper cost and, you know, uh, equitable cost for the in consumer. I've been known to do shots of tequila occasionally, occasionally. Most of the time when I want to unwind at the end of a long day, my go-to is a glass of wine, a gummy, or a couple pulls of a joint. Just enough to take the edge off. But right now, the subculture is running the show and the industry is catering to those desires. People who want to be catatonic and will by some measures be labeled drug addicts. The broader audience and the future of the industry lies in normalizing not only cannabis, but more importantly, how it's consumed. If we're looking at normalization and we're looking at where the market needs to go and where we want to put our products in the hands of, you know, I wouldn't say that. And I could be wrong, but I don't know if like, you know, a mom or something like that or older guys and whatnot are trying to be smoking dabs all the goddamn time or smoking. You know, they probably don't even understand what a hash hole is and things like that. And again, shout out to hash holes. I've had some great ones. Red Roots Roland does amazing work. So shout out to all these guys. I'm not saying that your products aren't going to last. I hope. This builds a whole different sector of the pre-roll market. So shout out to those guys. Keep doing your thing. Make great products. But I will say that there's not a right size to everything. There's uh, there there's products for there's availability to make products for a lot of different markets. So for us, we wanted to market our product towards who we saw was buying it when we first started. Right. That's where we started at. We we knew because it was a medical market, so we knew that it was older people, older men that like the cigar aesthetic, and a lot of women. I'm, I, I can't quite say what the correlation is there, but it was a lot of women that really dug our aesthetic. They dug dug what the the packaging looked like. 
They dug the market into things like that. And they dug that, you know, for what I tell folks all the time, you know, for the last five years, our brand voice and the face of our brand has been a black woman. You know, things like that. I can't say a lot of cannabis products have had that at all. So when it comes to those different things, we kind of keep both of those uh, segments in mind in terms of our marketing, who we try to put these products in the hand of. So, again, I'm not going to say that if you smoke a two gram GQ, you're not going to be blasted. You definitely are. Right. That's the, you're not going to smoke a blunt and not be blasted. <laughs> but, you know, we're not trying to, like, put people to the moon and whatnot the way that the old 420 fest and hot time space yeah. were. Yeah. And that's kind of where my head is with it. You know, we're trying to normalize this product, trying to normalize the industry right. for everybody. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of future, what's uh, what's on the docket now for Gentleman Quinn's? What's in the what's in the near, mid, and and distant future for you guys? Well, near future, we're just hand rolling blunts right now. We're trying to get them to as many places as we can that you know can yep. facilitate sales and things like that. We're getting more spots. We're out in the mountains right now. Shout outs out to Good. Organics out in Dillon, Colorado. Uh, great divide out there in Winter Parks. So we're actually starting to get further west and things like that. So. I'm pretty happy about that. Uh, at the end of the day, we're just trying to plant our flag into Colorado and let everybody know that we're a Colorado company first. Uh, we've been trying to do a small expansion with our friends out in Oregon for a little while. As the market kind of fluctuates back and forth from Colorado, our yeah. attention is kind of like stuck here, which is not a problem. Like we're Colorado companies. We need to. Yeah. But in, in the far future, we are expanding into Oregon. That's the plan. But okay. at the moment, you know, you could just expect to see more of us, see more of our products and dispensaries and see some of the best marketing in the industry right now. Come from right. Jim McQuince. All right. I'm going to give you a uh, 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 rapid fire now, lightning round. What are all the dispensaries that I can go to and get the Gentleman Quinn's product? Go. I'll say Simply Pure, The Green Solution, Medicine Man, uh... Uh, Dispensary 243, uh, Cookies Commerce City, okay. uh, House of Dankness, uh, where am I, uh, all sorts, gentlemanquins.com slash find us. Okay, perfect, <laughs> perfect. Well, Jarrell, man, thank you so much for coming by. Man, I appreciate um, it. This is an amazing what a, podcast. What a pleasure. Yeah, and and uh, if you guys haven't tried a, a GQ Blunt, Oh, well, what do you mean you guys? I haven't tried a GQ Blunch, and I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. Well, I got a care package coming for you for the, by the end of the week. I got you. Okay, perfect. I got you. All right. All right I didn't Jarell. want to be presumptuous because I heard the last part, so I was like, all right. Got to let them know these are tobacco and nicotine free, so we're good to go. All right. That's good, man. That's good. All right, Jarrell. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. And thank you so much. This has been amazing. And I don't often get uh, the, the opportunity to talk shop about the insides of cannabis with a lot of people, so. This is awesome. Thanks, man. Thank you. That was Jarrell Wall of Gentleman Quinn's Blunt Company, a true gentleman. And, um, you know, Jarrell, he kept true to his promise. He did come by two days later and dropped off a beautiful box uh, with some blunts in it. Um, I've yet to try them, but, man, the packaging is outstanding. It is... uh, truly a class act just like Jarrell you know what else is classy see green podcast very classy listen to this jam behind me these guys are in suits and stuff smoky jazz club you know the vibes um you know I have to apologize I haven't been on my normal schedule but your boy's grinding out there and working hard so this is kind of taking a back burner but it doesn't receive any less love and you could show your love by going to Apple Podcasts, 
uh, Google Cast, Spotify. Radio Public's gone, by the way. Those guys left, so don't fuck with that. Um, but, you know, wherever you find great content and podcasts, just go there. Look us up. We're here. We're waiting for you. And um, hopefully you guys will enjoy this and the rest of your weekend. Peace.